it's March 8th, 2023. Time for the Wednesday edition of the Sports Wagon Podcast, episode 210. How's everybody doing? It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. It's been almost a week since I recorded last, and it feels very, very weird that I haven't recorded, but um, life, um, as I always say, life and work and and um, there's some kind of weird bug going around with kids. Um, so I got a sick child home again today. I mean, he's doing better, but, you know, just some weirdness. But uh, uh, if you're a parent, you know, keep your eye out because I don't know what's going around. But I mean, these kids are, you know, catching something weird. But nevertheless, you're not here for parenting advice. You're here for the sports. So let's get on with it. Um, NASCAR. Let's start with the NASCAR uh, recap for the last couple races. So back on February 26th, Kyle Busch wins the Pala Casino 400 at Fontana. He led 27 of 200 laps. This past Sunday, William Byron wins the Pennzoil 400 in overtime at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Byron led 176 of 267 laps. So um, on the call this past Sunday was Clint Boyer as normal, but uh, Danica Patrick joined the pod, joined the uh, uh, the program uh, as an analyst, and both of them agreed, and they talked so much about the one and a half mile tracks and how those tracks are kind of really good testers of where teams are, where cars are. And um, one of the things that Danica Patrick uh, commented on, she really complimented uh, Bubba Wallace. So Bubba Wallace finished fourth in this race. So he's currently 16th overall in the standings. And she said, you know, he already, he's already, he races hard. He's very aggressive, but she said that, you know, his car, and I totally agree. His car ran really well uh, at, um, uh, Las Vegas, uh, this past Sunday. And I mean, he had opportunities. I mean, again, the field was running really fast. Um, but, um, you got to see that the teams, the, 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 the cars rather that were running really well, you kind of, you hopefully can project that out to what's remaining in the season. And you can see potentially that they're going to be, uh, more winners, um, more uh, cars because again, it's been it was like a crapshoot of winners last year. A lot of different winners last year. I think last year was the most different number of drivers who won races. I think in history, if I recall correctly, or something to that regard. So, judging by that, it feels to me. Again, I don't have all the answers on this, but I feel like Bubba Wallace. I, I think a win is coming for him at some point soon if he ran that well uh, on a one and a half mile track uh, at Vegas. So let's look at the uh, current standings, your top five. Leading the field right now is Ross Chastain with, with 129 points. Second is Alex Bowman with 126 points. Third is Kevin Harvick in his last year in the, in the series at 108 points. Fourth is Daniel Suarez from Trackhouse Racing, 104 points. And fifth is Martin Truex with 102 points. Sunday, they race at Phoenix. The United Rentals work United 500. They'll go 312 laps. The green flag, or at least the coverage, rather, starts at 3.30. The green flag will drop probably 3.45, uh, 4 o'clock. But anyway, tune in. Uh, should be a good race. And I'm off next week, so I hope to recap that and talk some March Madness with you on Monday. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, just cross everything. We'll see how it goes. Let's move over to the NFL. So a couple things in the NFL. We'll get to the big story from yesterday in a moment. Derek Carr signs with New Orleans. He gets a four-year deal worth $150 million, and roughly about $72 million of that is guaranteed. Now, you ask, what does this mean for New Orleans? I mean, 
Here's my take. I've kind of waffled a little bit, but I'll say this. Derek Carr, he's not elite, and he's not terrible. He's kind of somewhere in the middle, but it's kind of that in the middle could potentially go either direction, kind of leaning more towards the wrong direction. But, I mean, for New Orleans, I mean, we'll see. I can't really call it, but, I mean, it's either it's either going to go really well or really bad. I mean, I can't really – I honestly can't call it, but, I mean – for them, it's a good pickup. Um, you know, quarterback that, you know, when he actually is on, he actually is on. Um, also, someone with experience. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Aaron Rodgers is currently, per reports, in talks with the Jets. So the Jets supposedly are meeting with him in California. And if he goes to the Jets, it could be via trade. Rodgers currently has not announced his intentions for next season. So his intentions are either A, retire. B, stay in Green Bay, or C, um, as the reports are saying, to move on to a new team. So we'll see how that all falls for Aaron Rodgers. Now, the big news from yesterday is that of the Ravens. So the Ravens use the franchise tag on quarterback Lamar Jackson. So the tag here is what we refer to as a non-exclusive tag. So what that means here is Lamar Jackson can talk to other teams. If he signs with another team, the Ravens, have the right to match the offer or in compensation for him signing with another team, they can uh, receive two first round picks in compensation. So the tag, so here's the big difference here. The tag, uh, non-exclusive tag will pay him 32 million for the season. If he were exclusive, it would be about 45 million in compensation. So right now the Ravens got to work a little magic. They got about a week to get their cap right in line to pay Lamar Jackson is $32 million. Um, so he, per reports, wants a fully guaranteed deal similar to that of Deshaun Watson. Now, my whole thing is, I think, this is just me talking, he's worth it. But the other piece is, Deshaun Watson should not have gotten a guaranteed deal. I mean, again, we, we you can say, okay, the, the loss out of the house you know, adjudicated and he wasn't uh, found guilty from a criminal standpoint, but the attention that he's getting from a civil standpoint, I think my question is what team would want to deal with that? So him getting a guaranteed deal is kind of one of those things where Cleveland is kind of, you know, they I mean, they're inviting scorn. I mean, they are, they're inviting scorn. And uh, when he played, he heard, he heard from the crowd and, you know, I mean, again, it, it's kind of part of this big ball of uh, nonsense that the NFL is kind of involved themselves in because they essentially leave the teams to be like, do what you want. We absolve ourselves of this. And then the teams have to kind of deal with the fallout, whether it is, um, you know, minor fallout, if it's full nuclear fallout. So I don't know. Lamar Jackson, considering what you're getting. And considering what he's accomplished in the league, now you say he hasn't won a championship. All right, well, whatever. Who cares? I mean, he's won MVP. He's he's done great things for the franchise. So I think he's worth the money, but that's just my thought. Um, then, then, of course, once this happens, all the teams, like uh, I think uh, Falcons, Commanders, other teams have said, oh, we were interested. Now we're not interested. But, I mean, I don't know. I think teams are interested. How are they going to show – their interest that's going to be or when or if they show their interest um it will be remain to be seen in the coming days so with the rest of this the 
Ravens and Jackson have until July 17th to work out a long-term deal. After that date, the new deal has to be signed after the season. So essentially, Lamar Jackson has two options. He can either not play, he can sit out the season, or he can report just before the season starts. And I believe if he does that, there are fines involved. I mean, he could get fined for that, if I recall correctly. So a lot of pieces here, but it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen over the coming days. You expect that the Ravens are going to obviously do what they need to do by next week to get the cap in line to pay him. Now the question is, can both sides come to an agreement to where he either stays or is someone going to say, here's your offer. Do we pony up the uh, do we pony up the more money if the Ravens want to counter or do we pony up a couple uh, draft picks and we just make all this happen? So uh, stay tuned. It's going to get really interesting very, very fast. All right, so let's move on to the NBA. So one note from the NBA. So, of course, you probably heard about the John Morant suspension. So he was uh, suspended for brandishing a pistol in Colorado. So at a gentleman's club and he was on IG Live. So why would you do that on IG Live? Again, why would you do anything on IG Live to bring attention to yourself? That doesn't make any sense at all. So legally... This is kind of messy. Um, in Colorado, Colorado is an open state. So the only two things that Colorado says you can't do considering their open state is number one, which is universal. You can't have a fire. You can't brandish a firearm on federal property. So he wasn't on federal property that I know of. I mean, I don't know if they have gentlemen's clubs on federal property. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but you can't be drunk with a firearm in Colorado, which... I'm pretty sure people break that law all the time. <laughs> so I've never been to Colorado, but I'm pretty sure there are a lot of drunk people with firearms in Colorado somewhere. Um, but so currently it's under investigation. So local officials and it was a town also, I think it was a like Greeley is what I want to say. It's outside of Denver and they're investigating. But um, the NBA, however, has rules that prohibit possession of a firearm on team property or while traveling on team business. So, the NBA initially, they have they, they know what they have to do. You know, he's been suspended. They said uh, the coach has said he's going to be out indefinitely um, at at worse. He's going to face some charges, but that's going to depend upon, upon the investigation right now. Kind of what we've seen. It doesn't seem like he did anything wrong, per se. Um, just wasn't using very good judgment. I'm just going to stop short of that and just say, you know, what you did. Well, just say what you did was dumb. Um, so, okay, if it's found he wasn't drunk, then fine. All he did was brandish a firearm and he just has to face the NBA. So the NBA is going to have to come up with some penalties for that. But here's the thing that's getting me about this John Morant situation. It's former players, um, have sounded off on him either. Hey, I'm with you on this. Like I think Paul Pierce talked about it. Um, Jalen Rose has something to say. I didn't hear what he said. Shaq was basically like, oh, you know, stop being like a rapper. I'm sorry, that was my Shaq impression. Um, <laughs> um, Ari Spears does it way better than I do. But um, stop. Just stop. I just need all these former players to stop. And all the think pieces. Just stop, okay? He used poor judgment. It was dumb. Why would you do that on IG Live? Why would you put yourself out there? And at the end of the day, we got to wait till all the evidence comes up right now. 
on face value, it looks like he didn't do anything wrong from a legal standpoint. So once he's clear legally, then we can kind of I mean, I don't even want you to pile up on him if he's clear legally, because, again, everyone's going to have an opinion. Again, he did something stupid. I don't think there should be an opinion. I don't think there should be sides when you do something stupid. Either you agree that he did something stupid or you're with him and you're stupid. That's the only that's the only two sides in this. So um, so let's just stop all the high level thoughts about what John Morant did. At his, at his face, at his core, it was super dumb. He shouldn't have done it. And this is where we are. So that's all I'm going to really say about the John Morant situation. Um, and stay tuned. Again, stay tuned. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move on to college basketball. So let's look at the women's AP Top 10 final regular season polls. That would be the Week 18 poll. Number one, again, South Carolina with 28 first place votes. Number two, up five spots in the biggest jump this week, Iowa. Um, so up from seven, down one, down one, sorry, down one to three is Indiana, up four to four is Virginia Tech, up one to five is Stanford, six through ten, down one, two, six is Maryland, up two to seven is UConn. Your biggest drops this week are from Utah and LSU, who are eight and ninth respectively. They both drop five spots. And Villanova jumps into the top ten, one spot. Out of the poll this week are the Golden Bulls of South Florida and the Cyclones of Iowa State. Let's go through the automatic qualifiers for the NCAA tournament for the women. Representing the Ohio Valley Conference, uh, the Golden Eagles of Tennessee Tech. This is their first visit to the big dance since 2000. Representing the Southern Conference is UT Chattanooga. Virginia Tech wins the ACC. Kenny Brooks becomes the first black women's basketball coach to win the ACC tournament. And, you know, he in his post his post game press conference, he took some time to reflect upon it. And he said that, you know, for him, it's, uh, you know, he wants he wants to be and strives to be an example for his players. Um, he basically said, look, you know, I've been called everything but a child of God in so many words. And he said that one of the things that he felt strongly to do was to relate it to his players in a way and to also help them to galvanize, you know, all different backgrounds in the face of all the racial unrest that we encountered uh, you know, with the murder of George Floyd and since that time and, um, you know, his players, you know, Georgia Amor, uh, Liz Kitley, they had nothing but praise for him that, you know, they thanked him for not just the opportunity, but making them better people, better women. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, Kenny Brooks, I, I will say this much. I remember Kenny Brooks when he coached at James Madison and I was just going through some stuff the other night. I'm kind of you know, first of all, um, as you know, I'm an old ODU graduate, Old Dominion University, and of course, we all know the legacy of the Lady Monarchs. And uh, you know, my my team, they they, just, they played James Madison uh, three times this season and just can't get over the hump. They they were close to getting past them to get to the Sun Belt Championship and just just couldn't get over the hump. And I remember a different time where Kenny Brooks was the head coach of James Madison and we were the teams that were the aggressor. So Wendy Larry and her great squads at ODU. And I think what we ran off what 16 straight conference championships. So nine times out of the 10, the championship is either us or us or JMU. And I think most of the time we got it done. Now during the regular season, sometimes we split or sometimes, you know, Kenny Brooks would get his teams, you know, riled up enough to beat ODU. But I remember he always had this look about him. He was so like, 
just smug and confident. And I was like, I can't stand that guy. But with all that said, I always knew looking back on it that he was a very good coach. I mean, that, that's the one thing I couldn't deny. But um, now, again, he's a Virginia Tech. He's Virginia Tech coach. I'm a UVA guy, but I give him his props. I mean, first of all, this is historic. Um, he's doing what I he's doing what I knew he could do. And I know he can flat out coach and the type of team that he's put together, I think, is a testament to that. And then kind of bringing all these players together. So congratulations to Kenny Brooks on, you know, not just giving Virginia Tech women their first ACC championship in women's basketball, but becoming, uh, you know, a trailblazer, becoming, uh, you know, making history. And, um, you know, hey, that, that that's big. I mean, whether, you know, again, whether you are on the team or not on the team, you got to recognize the the accomplishment that that was. But I don't know. Every now and then I look at Kenny Brooks. I'm going, oh, he's still got that look. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I mean, it's all respect. It's all love. No shots. But congratulations to Kenny Brooks on that. Um, South Carolina wins their 11th, uh, go to their, goes to their 11th straight uh, NCAA tournament. They win the SEC. Iowa will represent the Big Ten. And I tell you, man, that Caitlin Clark is something else. I mean, that Indiana game was so good when she hit that three to win that game and to end the regular season at home. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, is Iowa a Final Four team? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, uh, they're good, but I think they're they're going to run into. I don't say a buzzsaw, but they're gonna they're gonna hit a wall. They're they're gonna make a deep run, but I don't I don't I don't see them going to the Final Four. I'd have to look at the bracket, but honestly. If I look at them on paper, I can I feel good now. I mean, I had to I threw it out there on Twitter and say, hey, to all of you basketball heads, am I crazy or is Iowa not a Final Four team? And I got some. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're not nuts. They probably aren't going to make it the Final Four. So, OK, good. I still got it. I think I know I see a Final Four team when I don't see when I when I see one. So but again, the bracket is going to tell us everything. So when I sit down, and look at my brackets, we'll see how it goes. Um Let's see. I got two teams I'm skipping intentionally. I'm going to talk about, I think, three teams, rather. Representing the Big South would be Gardner-Webb. Uh, as I mentioned, JMU will represent the Sun Belt. UConn represents the Big East. I think this is their 32nd appearance in the uh, in the tournament. Cleveland State will represent the Horizon. South Dakota State will represent the Summit League. So this week, we have 19 more conference tournaments. Big 12, Ivy, Western Athletic, American Mountain West, MEAC, and the remainder the Ivy, they are now doing the tournament. So remember, they have what's called Ivy Madness. The top four men, the top four women will all converge this year on Jadwin Gym in Princeton. And they'll duke it out for who will go to the, the big dance to represent the Ivy League. So that's going to be fun to watch. Now, three teams that I left out intentionally because these three teams have literally are going to throw this whole NCAA thing into a tizzy. Let's start with the Atlantic 10. St. Louis, they were the third seed. They are 17 and 17, but they went 10 and uh, they went to 10, 10 and 6 in the conference. They took down number one UMass in overtime, and that was a really good game. I mean, UMass could not hit the broadside of the barn in overtime, and they just had so much grit in pulling out this win. But if they went 17 and 17, if I'm doing my math right, and I had to look at the schedule and it doesn't really add up, but they're based upon their conference schedule and their overall schedule. Their non-conference was not very good. They lost a slew of non-conference games. So their start was terrible, 
But if you think they get the over, they got the automatic bids, the three seed. And of course, UMass is out. Rhode Island got bumped out. So Tammy Reese, I re- if I recall, wins the A-10 coach a year for the second year in a row. And this was a team that a lot of people felt as the two seed had a really good chance to win the A-10. They're out of it. So when St. Louis won this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, two possibilities. The most obvious possibility is someone gets pushed off the bubble because that was the first straw that that was the first hat that dropped. Someone gets pushed off the bubble. There's no way that the A-10 is going to get three teams in this tournament. So you get the automatic bid. You get a very good record-wise UMass team, and then you get a very good Rhode Island team. If it were two, it'd probably have to be potentially uh, St. Louis and Rhode Island, but I don't think that's going to happen. So you're looking at a UMass and Rhode Island team that will probably end up in the NIT. So that was the first um, situation that dropped. Then what happens? Later on that day, Washington State wins the Pac-12 in succession. The Cougars beat Oregon, Stanford, and UCLA in the championship. They win their first conference title. They're ranked 22nd. I think that's their first ranking in program history. And they were led by junior Charlize Legger Walker, who was the most outstanding player of the tournament. I've talked about her on the show, and I tell you, and I told you, she is fantastic. She's an outstanding player. Keep that name in the back of your head. She is fantastic to watch, but she had a coming out party for the ages. So if you didn't see it, Go check out the highlights. I mean, she went off in this tournament, and she is fantastic as a player. And I think her senior season, she's got a lot to prove, not just in the Pac-12, but I think on a national level, I think she potentially could make a name for herself. Because looking at what Washington State's doing, they could be a team that could see some significant movement from a a transfer standpoint. They could see some players potentially coming in to uh you know kind of do the transfer thing and you know continue that growth in washington state basketball the other uh team from the west coast conference portland portland upset number 16 gonzaga 64 60 so gonzaga has been a uh, a staple in the tournament over the last couple seasons so now another team another league with one bid so portland will represent wcc gonzaga will probably go to the nit now what happens again with those three wins somebody's getting pushed off the bubble the question is who so i think that will be a really interesting conversation that i think folks will be having with um with the whoever the chair of the turn uh, the chair chair of the committee is which i don't know who it is this year i know for the last couple seasons it was uh oh my goodness uh wow her name just slipped out my head uh, from duke uh, the ad from duke um uh nina king I don't know if she's still the chairwoman or not, but we'll uh, kind of get to that on. Uh, I think they're doing selection Monday again. I, I I don't really know what's happening after the tournament. I just I'm, I feel like I'm so focused on what's happening with the tournament <laughs> and all the things are happening with mostly the men's tournaments this week and a number of women's tournaments this week. When we come back, we'll finish up college basketball. We'll talk about uh, some of the news and notes. So, so we had some firings in women's college basketball not that many i think there are 13 open jobs but these are some notables we'll get into the men's side we'll talk some of the automatic qualifiers on the men's side and we'll end the show uh with a tribute to uh terry holland uh who passed away uh last week the former head coach at virginia stay tuned
All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. Let's talk about women's basketball coaching news. Lance White was let go at Pittsburgh after five seasons. So overall, in five years, it was 42-99. and 99. The Panthers went 10-20 and 20 this season and 3-5 and five in the ACC. The Panthers, in his tenure, never made it out of the second round of the ACC tournament. So this was Lance White's first head coaching job. So he spent 20 years as an assistant first at Texas Tech, where, which is his alma mater. And then he was a longtime assistant at Florida State uh, on the staff of Sue Simrau. The big news uh, that came out uh, last week, Lindsey Whalen resigns at Minnesota after five seasons. So this season, Minnesota went 11-19 and 4-4 four and four in the Big Ten. Overall, she was 71-76, 32-58 in Big Ten play. So per the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the decision to resign was a mutual one between her and AD Mark Coyle. And so when the announcement was made, um, uh, there were two events going on that Mark Coyle was addressing the media and Lindsay Whalen was not at the press conference. She was addressing the team. So she it was later understood that she said, you know, it was a very emotional day. Um, you know, she was addressing the team. She said that she does plan to address the media at some point in the future to kind of talk about the decision to step aside as head coach. Um, she will stay at Minnesota. Uh, she'll be a special, a special assistant to the athletic director. So she will be there through at least April of 2025. And essentially her work will be uh, helping with, you know, student athlete issues, things like NIL and the like. Um, so we all know Lindsay Whalen's resume. Um, this is her first head coaching job, but again, she's a, great from the Minnesota she's a Minnesota great um alum of the university then she goes on to play for the Minnesota Lynx where she won four WNBA championships she recently is uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame I think it was Naismith Hall of Fame and um and, and it started out pretty good for Minnesota they went to the WNIT twice in first season they were 21 and 11 season two they were 16 and 15 and then after that it just kind of you know, went all to you know where. Um, now, here's one positive from this. So this season, they had a very heralded freshman class that came in, and we know what happens when a coaching change occurs. People hit the transfer portal. They're running away from this place. So I think, I don't know how many of these freshmen have said this, but at least one or at least two that I could glean from the reports have said that they're going to stay. So the nice thing about this is that we're not going to see a, another uh, loss of players because over the last couple of seasons, a number of players have transferred away from Minnesota, but they're going to stay, and that's kind of good for the program in general. Last week, uh, Reagan Pebley resigns at Texas Christian after nine years, so she went 7-20, 1-15 in Big 12 this year. Um, the team started off really well. She took them to the WNIT four times, 321 seasons. 2020 would have been the year. I mean, 2020 will always be the what-if year. So 2020 would have been the year that that team could have gone to the NCAA tournament, but of course, we all know what happened in 2020. Since that point, the team has been below 500. They're going to be in the Big 12 tournament, and they'll play seven-seed Kansas. That game, 730 Thursday, ESPN Plus in Kansas City. Um, Michelle Clark Hurd is out of Cincinnati, so she was one game below 505 seasons, 74-75. Um, in the press release, AD John Cunningham basically said that Cincinnati is, as we know, um, and he reiterated this, Cincinnati is joining the Big 12 on July 1st, and their intent is to kind of more or less reset the deck 
uh, bringing in a coach who can get Cincinnati's play up to a level to compete for Big 12 championships. So, And Michelle Clark heard she's coached at a number of places, I think Western Kentucky, Cincinnati, and I forget. I think she's coached one other place. So she's had a really good track record. Um, she was very successful at Western Kentucky and then left and took the Cincinnati job. I think you might hear her name somewhere. I think um, with the jobs that are opening, I think she will get another opportunity. She's you know done good work here. It's just with Cincinnati, it's kind of been – Unfortunately, hit or miss. I didn't get any stats on had she been to the NCAA tournament as of late. I believe she had with Western Kentucky, but it doesn't register with me if they had with Cincinnati. But nevertheless, she's out at Cincinnati. Jim Crowley and Providence mutually part ways. He goes 85 and 126 in seven years and 32 and 93 in the Big East. Let's go to the AP top 10 for the men. Number one for the 18th week, the final week of the regular season, number one, Houston. Holds with 58 first-place votes. UCLA moves up two spots to two and get three first-place votes. Kansas holds at three. Alabama drops two spots to four. Purdue holds at five. Marquette is up to, holds at number six. And right behind them, ironically enough, up two spots is Texas. So Shaka Smart's old team is one spot behind them. And Marquette, man, I watched a little bit of them play uh, last, you know, last week. Um, in the final few games of the regular season. I mean, they're a good-looking team, and uh, going to be interesting to see how they're going to fare in the Big East tournament because uh, we know the Big East tournament, just about anything can happen, but uh, I think Marquette is definitely a team to keep an eye on in the Big East tournament this week. Um, Arizona holds at eight, Gonzaga up one spot to nine, and Baylor down three spots to ten. Your biggest mover up this week is Texas A&M. They move up six spots to 18. Buzz Williams wins SEC Coach of the Year. Congratulations to him. Um, if you remember, he was at Virginia Tech and he left Tech to take the AM job, got a lot of money because, you know, those pockets are deep in College Station. And I believe they went to the NIT one year. And it's kind of one of those things where they hadn't quite hit their stride. And I think a lot of folks were asking some questions it's like, is Buzz Williams the guy? And right now he's got them trending in the right direction. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare in the SEC tournament and moving forward into postseason, into further postseason play. Tennessee drops five spots to 17 out of the poll this week, Providence, Maryland, and the Pitt Panthers. Um, let's look at the automatic qualifiers from the men's side. So from the Northeast Conference is Fairleigh Dickinson. Representing the Ohio Valley Conference will be Southeast Missouri State. Representing the Big South will be UNC Asheville. Representing, representing the Missouri Valley Conference will be Drake. Drake! Drake, yes, Drake will represent the Missouri Valley. The first appearance for Kennesaw State out of the American Sun. So that was, uh, I think ESPN did an article about uh, their turnaround. They've just been not very good for a long time, and they finally have turned the corner, and they're going to make their first appearance in the NCAA tournament. Representing the Sun Belt will be Louisiana. The uh, last uh, appearance for the Raging Cajuns was in 20, 2014. The Southern Conference, Furman. Furman is in for the first time since 1980. They haven't been in the tournament in 43 years, so congratulations to them. We're representing the Horizon League of Northern, Northern Kentucky from the CAA, Charleston, the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga. Gonzaga beats their arch rival St. Mary's by 26, and it seems like every year the West Coast Conference, as far as the final, always comes down to those two bitter rivals, and they just go back and forth, but this time... Um, Gonzaga just made a statement and they said they were not going to be denied as they beat St. Mary's and representing the Summit League will be Oral Roberts. So this week, there are roughly about 21 tournaments going on this week. Power five, mid-majors, all in play. 
Big Ten, SEC, ACC, MIAC, you name it. They're <laughs> you name it. They are all playing this week. Lots of basketball to watch. You know it's going to be crazy all the way until Sunday. And, of course, with Sunday, it's going to be what? Selection Sunday and the Oscars. So fun times coming up. Um, let's look at some of the coaching news before we get out of here. Um, so Chris Beard. So we talked about Chris Beard's situation. And uh, I think last episode I talked about the coaching changes. Right now reports are saying that Chris Beard is emerging as a candidate at Old Ole Miss. So Ole Miss fired Kermit Davis uh, on 20, Feb- uh, February 24th. So essentially, he looks like he may be heading to the SEC. But it's weird that um, Mark Adams, so this is part of the breaking news. This is the biggest breaking news that ha- happened in coaching. But Mark Adams resigns at Texas Tech, which is Chris Beard's old job. So in my head, as I'm recording, as I'm reading this news, I'm going, hmm, you think they'll reach out? I probably die. I mean, I don't know if there was, if there's some kind of feelings about him leaving Texas Tech to go to Texas. But nevertheless, um, Mark Adams took over after Chris Beard took the the Texas job. And the situation that happened is he was having a conversation with a player about being more coachable. Mark Adams quoted some Bible scriptures, and the Bible scriptures, you know, went into you know. Um, Essentially, slavery came up. Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying in any way he shouldn't have been quoting Bible verses. That's not what I'm saying. But I think kind of the idea here is you kind of have to be a little more, I guess, I don't say sensitive. I guess think about what you're saying to people. Now, again, there are going to be people who are going to be like, well, he got fired because he mentioned slavery and and that's messed up. You know, people like to throw around the term woke. That's not being woke. We know the horrors and ills of slavery. The problem is people don't want to talk about it. So as far as from a historical standpoint, we're seeing what's happening. But I think you kind of have to be um, a little bit more judicious with the words that you use i mean i can understand having a conversation with a young man and saying hey here's some things to kind of keep in mind but you want to say things in a way where you're taking into account that certain things will be taken a certain way that's that's my point so with that said he was suspended by uh ad kirby hocut they wanted to initially he was written up then he was suspended, and then they wanted to do an investigation about all of the you know interactions that uh, Mark Adams was having with players, and then subsequently Mark Adams resigned, saying he didn't want to be this, a distraction to the program, the university. So Texas Tech is out looking for a new head basketball coach. Um, now the super, 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 super breaking story was Jim Beheim's. So I talked about Jim Beheim on the last show. Jim Beheim is out, retired, quote unquote, at Syracuse after forty-seven years. So. In his press conference, they were asking him about retiring. They lost to Wake Forest, I think, on a final basket. And they asked Beheim, you know, hey, you know, what's the deal? You retire, you coming back, whatever. And he was very cryptic. He's like, well, that's Syracuse's decision. Whatever they want to do, I'll do. Then he said something like, oh, well, I gave my retirement speech last week. Y'all just didn't catch it. So not long after that conversation, that press conference, Syracuse released a statement saying that it was – a, I guess more so that he had retired. So, you know, we put air quotes that was mutual. You know, um, my whole thing is 
as I've said before, I think he should have retired about five years ago. Five, six years ago, he should have been out the door. I mean, he's kind of like the old guy that we've all worked with that when you first get on that job, you know, he's helpful. He's he's the veteran. He's going to look out for you, teach you the ropes. And then you just watch him over the years as you become more, you know, ingrained in, in your particular organization he becomes more bitter and more i hate this place and why am i here then go home it's like you can you can leave at any time no one's holding you here no one's holding you hostage so that's kind of how i view Bayheim. it's like he could have left five years ago he really could have but i feel like syracuse kind of had to push him out the door and it's sad because you could have gone out on your own terms you could have had uh, I, I don't know. His, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know his schedule, I mean, his record rather. But you think of the last time they had a super, I think, a really, really good season. He could have just like, I'm out. I'm, I'm walking out into the sunset and that's it. They had to push him out the door, which is kind of sad considering that I've always felt that somebody who has served the school over 20 plus years for him is 47. You have the right to leave whenever you want. Now they have to push him out the door, which is really really to me a very bad look so adrian autry so he is also former player class of 94 he's been on the staff since 2011 he will be uh jim Beheim's successor over his career of 47 years and mind you 47 years is the second longest tenure of a coach at one place jim phelan from mount st mary's was in in his job for 49 years and in that 47 years Bayheim had a record of 1,015 and 441. If you remember, 101 of those games were vacated due to NCAA rules violations between 2004 and 2007 and 2010 and 2012. So with 1,015 wins, he's second behind Coach K all time. Of course, 30, 47 years in one place. You go to the NCAA quite a bit. He went to the NCAA 35 times, five Final Fours, the national title in 2003. And he is fourth all-time in tournament wins in, with 58. Beheim was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame in 2005. He has two gold medals as an assistant with USA Basketball. He is a Syracuse graduate. He walked on in 1962, worked his way up to team captain along with Dave Bing. He graduated in 1966. Three years later, he was a graduate assistant. And then seven years later, he became head coach. And he has ingrained himself into college basketball history. So, um, congratulations. I mean, <laughs> how do I, I mean, I'm ready to say congratulations was like, congratulations, I guess. I mean, on one hand, it's like, if you got forced out the door. Hey, I guess that's a good thing. But I mean, nevertheless, um, we all, I also look at it from the standpoint that Adrian Autry being, um, an alum. So an alum holds the head coaching position in Syracuse and you've got two, Black head coaches who are alums of Syracuse leading both the men's and the women's program. Coach Jack on the women's side and Adrian Alchi on the men's side. So that in of itself is a, a, a just a wonderful event in and of itself. So as we end the show today, we say rest in peace to Terry Holland. So Coach Holland, 80 years old, passed away in Charlottesville last week. So in 1974, he left Davidson. Davidson College is alma mater where he was head coach. He took over Virginia. And prior to his arrival in Charlottesville, the program had only had three winning seasons. So Terry Holland established a defensive presence for Virginia. Does that sound familiar, especially to you Virginia fans? Because it sounds a lot like the current coach, that defensive, that defensive stance, that defensive you know, prowess was what Terry Holland established 
with this Virginia program. So during the first two seasons, the program had losing records. And after that point, Terry Holland would only have one more losing season. And from there, his record in 16 years in Charlottesville, 326 and 173 overall, counting his time at Davidson, he was 418 and 216, took the Cavaliers to the NCAA tournament nine times. They went to two Final Fours and won the 1980 NIT title. And on that NIT title team, I believe was a freshman name. I don't know. You've probably heard of him, Ralph Sampson, who eventually became two-time player of the year. Um in 1976, the Cavaliers won the ACC tournament for the first time. They were a 15 and 11 team led by Wally Walker. And if you've ever watched the ACC tournament documentary, they document that whole uh, that whole uh, uh, that whole series of events in that game. So Wally Walker and uh, um, uh, was it Phil Ford? They you know kind of talked about you know going up against each other. But um, such a great story. Um, really great team, and of course, at that time in the NCAA's, I think the, I think the field was only 32 teams at the time. So I think you had to win your conference to go to to the NCAA tournament. Um, so, Coach Holland stepped down in 1990. He returned to Davidson College. So, as a basketball player, he played for Lefty Drizel. So, Coach Drizel is, I think, he's got to be in his upper 90s. He's back in my area. He lives in Virginia Beach now. Um, he became the athletic director. And he was there for five years. He returned to Virginia in 1995 as athletic director. Then six years later, he became special assistant to President John Castine. And then he served in that capacity for three years. And then he went to East Carolina and served as their athletic director from 2004 to 2012. And then he retired for good. So a lot of things with Coach, Coach Holland. Number one, his coaching tree is just expansive. So Dave Odom, Rick Carlisle current head coach at Miami League, uh, Jim Laranega, um, Jeff Jones, who succeeded Coach Holland. So Jeff Jones played for Coach Holland from 78 to 82, became an assistant for eight years, and then became the head coach. As we know, Coach Jones is now at Old Dominion as their head coach. And Seth Greenberg, who is ESPN analyst, he was a UVA assistant, eventually became the head coach of Virginia Tech, and now he's making his hay, talking basketball. I really like Seth Greenberg now. As a head coach of Tech, I would always give him a hard time because those teams are always so close to getting to the tournament. I think I've said a couple times, they always got Greenberg on ESPN on Selection Sunday night screaming about or crying more or less about, well, we didn't get in the tournament. It's like, but, but Seth Greenberg knows basketball, and him and – uh, folks like uh, him and uh, uh, Calipari, um, uh, even Coach Tony Bennett, all had you know just such great things to say about Coach Holland. Um, many people described him as a Southern gentleman. Um, Coach Tony Bennett, uh, last week on his coach's show, his radio show, talked about how Coach Holland embraced him as family, but at the same time, he told a story about his his incredible sense of humor. Um, I saw tweets from former uh, women's basketball players. I believe uh, Tammy Reese uh, tweeted out that, you know, uh, Coach Holland would dress in like crazy costumes for Halloween and come through and, you know, scare the women's basketball team. But, you know, it was all in fun and in jest. Um, but um, Coach Tony Bennett talked so much about the support that he got from Coach Holland. And of course, you know, once he got to know him and acknowledged that he built the foundation in which the program currently stands on. And then Tony Bennett just kind of took it to another level. 
Um, Tom Crean, uh, who's now a broadcaster or analyst for ESPN, talked so much about how as a young assistant, Coach Holland took time to talk to him and, you know, kind of, sh- you know, show him some things and, you know, give him the, you know, give him some advice about coaching. So just so many accolades for such a great man. And like I said, I grew up watching that era of Virginia basketball and so exciting. And um, again, for me, I have to agree that Coach Holland's such an integral part of Virginia basketball. I mean, he is Virginia basketball from the essence of that's where the tradition of excellence began. And of course, there were some times where it wasn't so great, but where Virginia basketball is, um, it's at a really good place. And Coach Tony Bennett was right that it's because of the work that was put in by um, Coach uh, Terry Holland. And so we say rest in peace to Coach Holland and, of course, condolences to uh, his family. All right. So that's it. So I'm out of here and I appreciate you listening. Uh, Make sure that you uh, like, subscribe, share the podcast. Uh, I now found out you can follow me on Spotify. Please do that. Um, hit me up on Instagram, Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. And until I talk to you soon, make sure that you continue to be uh, take care of yourself, stay healthy. Also, remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.